welcome back to the regular exclusive podcast and the dynamic duo is back together again renee it's so good to have you back how was the wedding it was great my sister got married and everything went really well everyone said yes everyone said yes her husband cried like a little baby but it was adorable (laughs) and it was just a great time like i've never seen that many people all like want to dance the whole night at a wedding and like the music was perfect it was just something for everybody and it was just i would say so much fun plus if you are doing a wedding anyone out there please make sure you do this they served like like late night snacks before everyone left so it was like tater tots mini corn dogs fries just like carbo load just soak up all the fucking alcohol which was just that was a real g move that that's pretty smart yeah the catering businesses need to start adding that to their to their thing. Like it was clutch. We do leftovers. Yeah, dude. I'm like, man, that is the way to do it. Remember to send people out on a good note, basically. Exactly. Well, you came back just in time. It's our favorite time of year. Getting into October, just horror movies the entire month. As if I don't do that all the other <laughs> months of the year, but it's officially like okay and everybody else is doing it so it's like actually still exciting for me so now you have a lot of people to talk to about horror movies besides me yeah exactly there's a few people that i know that i'm like okay they actually like will watch a horror movie when it's not halloween but (laughs) other than that it's like you know i get it not everybody's crazy (laughs) well we are doing crazy yeah we're doing something uh I'd like to think it's a little more fun than crazy, but (laughs) for Halloween this year, we decided for every week of the podcast, we are going to each pick our own movie for a specific kind of genre, subgenre within within horror. So we thought this would be fun. So, uh, Renee, how about you? How about you give us the rundown? What what's our what's our our themes? Each All right. Week? Yeah. Well, we tried to not just include like the main normal ones. You know, we included even just one that we made up because that's just kind of the people we are. But we wanted to get you some classics and some new stuff. And then just also, I think something that I think everyone will enjoy. There's at least something mm-hmm. for everyone. So uh the first week of October, we will be doing two different movies with the theme of home invasion. Mm-hmm. Week two, we're going with creature feature. That'll be fun. And then our third category is the one that we made up, but I think it's a pretty good category. It's parents are the problem. And I think that that's pretty true in general. So I mean, you can always trace it back to them. But these two movies, I think it'll it'll fit. Yeah. Parents are the problem. That you could probably put a lot of horror movies almost every single one yeah at some point someone was a parent to that fucked up murderer um and so then we're gonna end it on the last week of october with something supernatural because that just feels right you know and you know we don't have to hide this one because we did do a whole intro about it a couple weeks ago we're talking about talk to me so we can't hold it back any longer we have to talk about talk to me so hopefully <laughs> it's streaming somewhere by the end of October. But if not, it is worth a rent at the very it's least. worth a fucking purchase. <laughs> Come on. It's so good. You're going to want to watch it again. Yeah. 
But anyways, that's just like a little preview of what we got for you guys for spooky season, because as you know, that's like one of our favorites and we got to hold it down. I think we did one movie, like one horror movie a week last year. So now we got to up it to two and I'm scared about what that means for next year. But I'm kind (laughs) of excited. And we might run out of horror movies at some point. Yeah. And we're. And we're going to go ahead and uh, do the outro right now because um, we'll just say me and Renee go pretty hard on The Shining and especially Dr. Sleep. So um, next week for the home invasion, we're talking about The Strangers, which is on Tubi. Um, and I will say, if you've never seen it, that is not an entry level horror movie. That movie is fucking terrifying. It really is. It came out in 2009 and we both haven't watched it in forever. And I remember seeing it in the theater and being like, I was that, I don't remember being that scared for a lot of horror movies. And that one, I was literally (laughs) like shaking in my fucking seat. Um, and then we're going to pair that with a movie that is available on Hulu and just came out Mm -hmm. called no one will save you. And it's starring Caitlin Dever from Booksmart. Uh huh. And it's pretty fucking awesome. And it's like an alien home invasion. So it's a little different spin, but it, it totally fits. Yeah. Not spoiling anything. That's in the trailer. So that's literally all the trailer is. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I will add to it's a dialogue free movie. I feel like if you have that in your expectations, you'll feel better about it because a lot of people have been like, what the fuck? I was waiting for audio. Just it's part of the fucking movie. The sound in this thing is incredible. So wait, you're telling me a movie with one person that is being attacked by aliens doesn't have a lot of dialogue because there's no one else to talk to. Who would have thought? <laughs> I know there's no I mean, there's flashbacks, but not much. And even if there is another character, they don't really talk. It's weird. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, watch those. And then, yeah, join us next week. But, yeah, we're going to go ahead and jump into The Shining and Dr. Sleep. We're going to make a new rule. Whenever I'm in here, you hear me typing. Whether you don't hear me typing, whether the fuck you hear me doing in here, when I'm in here, that means that I am working. That means don't come in. Now, do you think you can handle that? Yeah. Fine. Why don't you start right now and get the fuck out of here? The Shining. From 1980 by the director, the Stanley Kubrick. I feel like I'm one of the oddballs in this world because I'm pretty sure this was my first time watching this movie. I'm very late to the party. I literally cannot believe that. (laughs) That just like doesn't make any sense. I don't know how you'd. I mean, I, I guess it's like so ingrained in popular culture that it's like almost like you have seen it if you haven't like you know all the big parts you know but yeah. but it's really just i mean I've, i don't think i think it's pretty rare for someone to say that they don't really remember it or haven't ever really seen it right now i feel like most people know so i'm i'm curious to get your take i bet it's going to be interesting it's funny like y- yeah you mentioned like this movie is so popular like everyone kind of knows the big beats of it yeah and watching the movie it reminded me, it kind of felt like how, you know, like all social media is now is like clips of things. Mm-hmm. And then like, or gifts. Yeah, like you see the clips of a certain video or something, then you watch the whole video. You're like, oh, I get it way more. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so like 100%. Like that. Um, yeah. So I, I loved this movie. I Good. was very, very happy with it. And 
it was it was funny like i went into it and i was like oh you know i know the main kind of famous scenes and stuff um there's a lot more to this movie than than just like here's johnny there's there's so yeah. much more than that that's really what it gets boiled down to though it's like that is like the thing or like red rum right which are both incredibly iconic parts but I think what's interesting about The Shining for me is that I think it's like one of the best horror movies ever made. I think mm-hmm. it's so good. But after like I had seen this like for I'd seen it a long time ago. So I like I knew it really well. And then a few years ago, I finally read The Shining novel. And I was like, wow, this is like it's a great movie, but it's a fucking terrible adaptation of the <laughs> novel. Like I read the novel and I was like, this is not the same story. It's like totally different and i would say like all the characters except for maybe danny are like totally different than their book counterparts and like yeah it's just a whole different story i mean the whole part everything about it and even like i was expecting all the iconic things from the movie to be in the book so like i was so shocked that there was like there's no maze outside there's no all work and no play makes jack a dull boy like, oh, interesting. yeah, I know. I thought that that was weird. And I was like, huh? I mean, he has hedge animals like in the novel and they like move and shit like lions and shit, which scared the shit out of me when I read that because that sounds scarier than a fucking maze. But but it's just very different. There's like a lot of different things. And it's weird because those are the iconic stuff. But I do think the underlying story is what makes it so good. It's just yeah. the family in the isolation. And I, and I do know, you know, like I do know that the the ending is different from the movie and the book so you know it i can understand why there wouldn't be a maze because the maze really doesn't play any part other than the ending yeah it's really just to the movie but it was a weird thing that i learned and i just kind of assumed that all of that was from stephen king there is other iconic stuff in the shining from him but like it's weird that none of that was in the book (laughs) yeah well i mean just the movie itself like watching it i mean this movie is stylish as fuck like Mm -hmm. as the young people say nowadays this movie's got some riz it looks (laughs) so good (laughs) like doesn't it still it holds up i i i i've I've watched some stanley kubrick um not a ton of it and not lately so like this was a good reminder of just how amazing he was because just like the way that he moves the camera and stuff like when Danny is just riding through the hallways, like if you put like the Fast and the Furious audio to that, like you could make it an action scene. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's totally great. And the way that like just the way that the camera moves, like you said, but I mean, I, I'm sure, you know, but he was such a fucking perfectionist that he would make them do like over 100 to 200 takes of like the same thing to ensure it was perfect. You would like adjust every little detail on the set. So like this guy is probably insane in real life, but like worked out well for his movies like they all looked really great but like also i would probably go fucking insane if i was working with this guy yeah i saw some interviews of like of like shelly duvall and like her talking about like she was just like mentally tortured it's the worst (laughs) i'm like that's fucked up like i get that you're trying to get a fucking performance out of her and i think like he did like as much as people want to make fun of her in this movie, I think she nails it for what like he's wanting mm-hmm. the character to be. And it's like, I think she does a good job. But like, I think after reading the book, I'm like, wow, the Wendy in that is like a strong ass woman who like mm-hmm. takes no shit. And I was just like, this is totally different. So like, 
why did Kubrick have to fucking torture her to get this other performance when this other one was right there? I don't know. I also thought like maybe she's talented enough to give that. But anyways, it's like, maybe you know, I guess it's a great fucking film. But yeah, like maybe some fucked up, definitely some fucked up shit, excuse me, happened <laughs> to, in order to make it perfect. But but it still holds up today, which is hard. Like for a lot of older movies, I do feel like they look more dated and stuff. And I just think that when you got somebody like Kubrick, it's like everything's going to look amazing. Well, it was funny also, like when I was watching it, I was like, when was this movie made? Because I, I don't know it looks or like feels like it feels older than 1980. You know, like we just totally. watched we just watched the thing, mm-hmm. you know, Me and too. like this look like the look and kind of style of this looks older well, they they made it in like the late 70s. So I would imagine that's why it kind of does have more of a 70s feel to me. And it came out, I think, like either right, right at the beginning of 1980 or something. So um, I, it's just it's crazy to me that like this also was not a big like people hated it when it came out. And yeah. I'm just like, could the audience be more stupid? I mean, I know we're stupid today, but like to be that stupid to see The Shining <laughs> and then the thing two years later and not get them and not like them. I mean, people were really dumb back then. That's all I got to say. I mean, I get it maybe because the book came out before The Shining and people were like expecting the book like Stephen King was. Yeah. You know, I mean, I don't know maybe. if you've heard him talk about it, but he says it's like a beautiful car with no engine like yeah, in the yeah. middle. And it's like because there is no soul behind it. And I think that's like the big thing with Stephen King books is like they're so personal and you can relate and there's such an emotional journey and a lot of it is like like that good can overcome evil. And I don't feel like that's any this movie's super fucking cold. But it, it yeah. works because that's like the, the tone of everything and everything supports that. But it's just not the same as the original story. Well, and you're you're our Stephen King expert. Yes. And this movie was written and largely revolves kind of around his battle with alcoholism right mm-hmm. yeah and he actually injured his son uh in the same way that like he had supposedly broken danny's arm in the in the oh. movie and in the book so i think that's another reason why king wasn't super hyped on this movie because like the main criticism which i do agree with is that in his story jack is like your normal guy who's dealing with a problem but he's not crazy he doesn't seem angry like he he has some anger issues but he's trying to get better and he has more of like you can see a little good in him and from Mm -hmm. the beginning from frame one jack nicholson looks loony as a like fucking as a loon i mean fuck he looks (laughs) insane he looks insane from the beginning and you're just like i know this guy's crazy already so then when he becomes crazy you're just like well he's just a little crazier (laughs) you know (laughs) like it's it's not that big of a change i remember like in the very beginning like when jack nicholson is like having the interview with the guy and just the way that his face looks, and maybe it's just Jack Nicholson, but I'm like, a little bit of wait, that. isn't he supposed to go crazy by <laughs> yeah. the end of the movie? That's what I'm like- saying. It's like there's, there's, it doesn't make as much of like a good, I think it doesn't make as good of a story or like a storyline for the character to be insane already and then not really be any different. That is like, I mean, the only character really who grows throughout The Shining is Danny. Like Wendy kind of, but like only at the end. And like, just because it's desperate. But is it Danny or is it Tony? That's the question. Well, they kind of answer that in, uh, I think they answer that a little in Dr. Sleep. And I think 
in the I think the movie portrays him right with the finger and like he's something that yeah. lives in his mouth. But I'm pretty sure like in the novel and I could be totally wrong. because It's been a couple of years, but I think Tony is like himself and it's like a version, an older version of himself that he's talking to. Which I was like, how does that work? I don't remember. It's some like spirit, like Jedi thing. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm pretty sure that that's why, because his middle name is like Anthony or something. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. So I want to I wanna come back to Jack Nicholson, because he's incredible in this movie. I mean, but as crazy one... as he is, he's fucking great. He's so good. Yeah. The one thing that really stood out to me about how Stanley Kubrick shot this movie is, <clears throat> and... It was a weird thing that I was obsessed with the entire time watching it. But like the way that he shot the movie, you as the viewer, like you really feel how big this hotel is. Like Gigantic. there's a lot of shots of, mm -hmm. of long hallways and like big rooms and like long camera Huge takes. Space. Like, like when they did the the tour of the kitchen, I'm like, how big is this fucking kitchen? That's what I'm saying, Christ. dude. They built this crazy fucking set. And they also like, I'm pretty sure, I don't know if this is just from like the, there's a documentary, like the Room 237 or whatever, um, which is like all about, you know, like conspiracy theories around the movie and Kubrick and how it's like proof that he faked the moon landing or some shit. I don't know. But there's like people who think that because of this movie. But what I think is that like they talk about like how everything is so big and how some of the architecture, I think, is like deliberately made to like not make sense in certain places. So like mm -hmm. it it feels like maybe it's changing or like because it's alive. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's very interesting that way. And I feel like he really captures that, which is important because like if you're going to be scared of this place, you need to see the fucking vastness of it. Yeah, it's it's almost like by the end of the movie, like you kind of feel like you have your own kind of internal map of of where yeah. the, it. I just thought it was really impressive for them to do that and like give that effect. The only the only other thing that kind of popped it to my head of something similar like that was um, uh, the haunting of Hill House, which yeah. Mike Mike Flanagan, you know, of Our course he, he knows how to do it, but I fucking love that man. But like, yeah, I just thought that was that was such a cool kind of experience to like, it's like the house was a character. Yeah, I think that's more of like that actually fits more in with the tone of the novel because it does feel that way. Like that kind of you get a little bit more of that in Dr. Sleep, but I feel like it's way more obvious that the hotel is like a conscious being almost mm -hmm. or like the collective of all these souls. Like you get that in Dr. Sleep. It's there in the Shining novel, but like. I remember there's one part in there that I was so like, what the fuck? Why didn't they put this in the movie? And it was like, he's like, Danny's like playing on like a little swing set or something outside in the snow. And he like goes down a slide and like kind of gets stuck. And it's like, cause the other side was like caved in. And then he like starts to smell something. And then it's like, because of his shine, he could sense like a dead kid in there with him. And it's like fucking scary. And I just remember oh. being like, Ooh, like that made my skin crawl. And like, I, I mean, that was obviously there's so many good moments in the Shining movie that are really creepy and great. I mean, the blood elevator is amazing in the novel. I'm pretty sure it's like they wake up and hear all this crazy noise and then the elevators open and it's like party stuff like confetti and hats and like blowers. Yeah. And it's like creepy because you're like, ew, people were in here using this. And like, who the fuck was that? But it's like the blood is pretty effective when you see that. You're like, yeah, that really takes the fucking horror up a notch, you know? Yeah, that's such a classic scene. Mm -hmm. And I, I I saw like a little trivia thing on it. Like apparently 
they did that elevator take three times and they could only do it three times because it took like, I think it was something like eight days to set up the whole like scene. Yeah. So like they just couldn't do it a bunch. So like crazy. And it took like a year. It took like the full year for them to actually fit it fit three times in there. It's like it's crazy, man. Unbelievable. I know. It's really but, I think it's just such an impressive like feat of filmmaking. Like mm-hmm. at the very least. Yeah, I know Stephen King has his problems with it and I get it because it's like, you know, it almost feels like does he think does Kubrick think that like fucking he's Jack Nicholson and he's insane? I mean, King was pretty like much an alcoholic hardcore at this time. So, I mean, you know, maybe that is true, but I do feel like the incredible filmmaking makes up for any of like the missing heart and feeling that you get from the book or like the original story. Well, I feel like... um I feel like a lot of creators don't like their adaptations. That's weird, though. It's weird, though, because like, yeah, King is one of the ones who's like, I don't give a shit. Like, I like most of them. He yeah. said, like, the only thing he's ever spoken bad about is The Shining, which is like probably the, the best of his movies, like adaptations. <laughs> Everyone would say that's the greatest Stephen King adaptation. It's not. It's a great horror film. It's not. It's a terrible adaptation, though. Like the dad in the book is like way like normal for a lot longer he doesn't look insane and like all sketchy he's not as mean like he's always yelling at fucking wendy in this movie and he's always being a dick i mean it's hilarious sometimes but it's also like he's so much and i feel like in the novel you really feel more of the struggle between them and then also i think he you know he tries to redeem himself whereas like this jack just once he's at the hotel it's almost like there's no coming back from that there's not one nice moment after that you know I don't think there was any coming back from the very beginning of this movie. I know he's weird in the interview. I'm like, if I were that guy, I'd be get, getting like a fucking weird vibe from this dude. Well, I mean, when you find out that the in like the opening scene that the hotel that they're asking you to stay at, you know, there was several family massacres there. You're like, <laughs> I feel like that should have came up prior to this. And he's like, point. well. My wife loves horror movies, so I'm sure she'll love that. I'm like, I don't know. I love horror movies. I don't know if I'd want to go live somewhere where like 18 murders have taken place, you know, or like a guy had murdered his family when this guy's already like, I kind of hate my family, but Mm -hmm. there's just so much tension in this movie. But I will say the most intense scene for me always that stresses me the fuck out is the like the, the first scene with Wendy where she's talking to like the therapist or doctor or whatever. And her cigarette ash is just like fucking over an inch long. And I'm like, girl, that is about to fucking drop. Like, it's so crazy how long it is. It, you have to rewatch it if you didn't notice it or Google it. It's like crazy. That. It's so fucking long. It stresses me out every single time. Yeah, it's funny. Like when I was watching it, I was, I was like, this is a horror movie, but it's it's a very like it's a it's a tension horror. Like I, the word that was coming to my mind is like very atmospheric. Yeah. You know, like there's not re- there's not really any jump scares. Only it's that one, just, I think. But it's yeah. very like not even a jump scare. Yeah. Like the jumpiest parts are maybe when Danny is shining and like it cuts scenes real quick. And his face is ridiculous. <laughs> that the oh. one the one criticism I will say is I think the kids like he's good in this, but like it's so obvious he's acting. They're like act scared. And like sometimes, you know. Because it's like he had no idea he was even in a horror movie. He thought this was like a family drama for years. He Because they didn't tell him. They were like, he can't know what this is really about. So, like, he didn't find out for a long time. He also makes a cameo in Dr. Sleep, which I thought was pretty fun. 
Oh, I didn't notice that. Yeah, we'll talk about it. But but yeah, I think the the one when he kills uh, Scatman Crothers. I mean, sorry, what's his name in the movie? I can't think of it. Um, Doc. Doc Halloran. Mm. Um, who like the cook guy who comes back and then gets immediately axed by Jack Nicholson. I would say there's like a loud noise when he jumps out. That kind of got oh, me the first time. Yeah. Because, yeah, it's just it's him just like, ah! yeah. But I was like, what a pointless thing to bring that guy back because I love that character. And to just kill him immediately because in the novel he doesn't that. die. I was, yeah, it's like he played such a a big role in like this entire movie, and then he just comes back to die. he doesn't save anyone. He literally just <laughs> came back and died. This kid just interrupted this guy from his fucking once a year vacation and brought him all the way back from fucking Florida to die instantly. It's just like, come on, man! Like that is fucked. That was one thing with the ending that I thought was funny. I was like, okay, so so Wendy doesn't do anything. She's just running around. The only thing that bothered me about Wendy was her running around with the knife. She like held it upright, like bounced when she ran. Yeah. Like, who, She's who running like such a like girl that? with it. It's like, come on, like, lady. Like, fucking get like used she, to it. She does nothing. Uh, Doc comes back to die, and then it's it's Danny and 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 Jack in the in the maze. Yeah. Um Okay, I want I want to talk about Jack. So I mentioned that Jack looked crazy from the very beginning. And I was wondering, I was like, really, how he's already at like he already seems like he's at a six on the crazy scale. Like maybe a six for like the Jack Nicholson scale. Maybe he's maybe at like a four for the Jack Nicholson scale. <laughs> yeah. But it seems like he's always just extra, you know? We, we don't know what a 10 is on the Jack Nicholson <laughs> scale. <laughs> it's I think it's this movie, honestly, when he gets to the end of like the here's Johnny shit. <laughs> but like I was I was actually so impressed with how cr- like how much he cranks it up cuz like mm-hmm. he gets almost like cartoonish but like really scary. Pulls it off. Like, yeah. The stair scene, that's like his Oscar reel. The best. Like, yeah. He, that was that was unbelievable. And I'm not going to kill you. I'm <laughs> just going to bash your brains the fuck in. I'm going to just like, it's like, okay, great. You are insane. You're fully fucking gone. And I just, I really love that whole scene. And like, I mean, how many times they really did that though? It's like they did that over 200, 300 times or something. And they oh were both God. just fucking exhausted. I'm like, yeah, walking up the stairs, I'd be like, Hey, Kubrick, you fucking do that 300 <laughs> times and then we'll fucking talk, bitch. Maybe he wasn't even acting at that point. Maybe he just had gone insane. He's like, I'm literally going to fucking kill you. <laughs> but that's the thing is like him and fucking Kubrick behind the scenes were like fucking BFF little butt buddies like hanging out, <laughs> shooting the shit. And then she would come around and be like, are you you did fucking terrible today? And it's like, Jesus, like she was like had to go to the hospital. Like it was just insane, you know, uh, either way. But but yeah, Jack does to dial it up to like 50,000 and it's so good. Yeah. I mean, borderline the craziest thing he does in this movie is just casually throwing a tennis ball inside a mansion. Or all the, I think it's, for me, it really is the time and energy and like everything that went into his screenplay that he's drafted or his yeah. novel. And that it's like this, like what I love about it is that it's all the same fucking sentence. All work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. Yeah. And just the fact that it's fucking formatted like a book, like there's yeah. paragraphs and indents and fucking shit. I was like, this is incredible. Like, I mean, I think Stanley Kubrick's assistant literally had to make all those fucking pages on a typewriter. So they were probably like, I'm going to kill myself. But man, it was like, I think that's when you're like, OK, think about how much time and effort goes into this, though. And he yeah. thought this is really good. And it's just the fucking same sentence. Like, 
That's like on The Office when Dwight gets the concussion and he's like yeah. creating a folder. And it's just Dwight, 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 Dwight. No copy paste. You got to actually type this all out. Dwight, 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 Dwight. <laughs> well, yeah, because it's also a fucking typewriter back then. So he wrote all that fucking shit. There's no copy paste. <laughs> it's not like it's just one page that he cut fucking faxed or copied like a million times. And in Jack's performance in this, like it's crazy, but it's like it's like it's borderline like entertaining like he's entertaining himself kind of way yeah you know who i thought i don't know i don't think he could actually do this but i feel like this is just the horror version of this actor's performance can you guess what actor i'm thinking of Mm, i don't know i can't think Jim fucking Carey. Okay, I thought you were going to say that because have you ever watched the clip where they like face, they replace uh, Jack Nicholson's face with Jim Carrey's for no. that scene when he's yelling at her about like when I'm typing, don't fucking come in here and like that whole thing. And he's like, every time you come in here and I get distracted, it's like they yeah. fucking replace it with Jim Carrey's face and it works perfectly. I'll oh, send you the link. Yeah. Yeah. It's the eyebrows. It's the also Jim Carrey can do an incredible Jack Nicholson. He impression. totally can. And that's why like when they replace the face, I was like, this fucking works. Like, I don't know if they also they might have done the voice. I'm not sure, but it's fucking like too perfect. So that's funny. I should have known that that's where you were going with this. But <laughs> yeah. but yeah, you're right. He could maybe do it, but it'd be a lot more funny. I think, but he could also do dramatic, you know, shit. Oh, yeah. But. Like, I think he could do it. I just don't, I don't know if anyone would actually try that. So, what's interesting is that there is another adaptation of The Shining that was made by Stephen King <laughs> himself. Oh. Like, he wrote a screenplay and he had to buy the rights back from fucking Kubrick. And Kubrick, I think he, part of the deal was that he couldn't shit talk the movie anymore. And so he said, fine. And then he did it like a TV movie. Like it was like two was episodes. This kind of, was this kind of like it? Kind like of. It? Yeah. Back yeah. in the day. And the, actually Mick Garris, who like directed a shit ton of Stephen King adaptations, including like the TV version of The Stand and a bunch of other ones. He did The Shining. So it's like, what a fucking huge feat to be like, yeah, why not? I'll take on The Shining. It's only the most iconic movie ever. Like at this yeah. point, it was in the 90s and they cast a different guy. Um, I'm, I don't even think you would know him, so I, I'll try to credit. I can't even think of his name. Sorry. <laughs> Anyways, um, they recast him and they did play it where it was like he was way more normal and like down to earth. And then he became like crazier and they brought in scenes from the movie or from the book. But it just was like uh, some of these things you're like, yeah, they work better in the book. It's hard to realize that like yeah. on a TV miniseries budget, fucking hedge animals in the snow don't look that great. You know, yeah. or like, I think there's a part where like a fire hose on the wall that like kind of looks like a snake, like comes off and like acts like a snake and it just looks ridiculous. Uh, so you're like, it's, it's just so bad. But, uh, okay. That's Steven Weber. That's who it is. I don't know if you know who he is, but he played, he played, uh, Jack Torrance in the remake. And then the, the kid that they had for Danny in that movie, I'm going to send you a picture of him, but I fucking hate this kid. I've never hated a <laughs> child more in my life. It was like, it's his teeth, it's his performance, it's fucking everything. He's literally the worst. But anyways, they they try to make that movie good, and it's just, it's not. But, you know, bless him for trying. Stephen King just was like, let me right the wrong of my life. And it didn't work, but that's why we ended up getting Dr. Sleep, really, I think. Thank God. So, yeah, I mean, The Shining, ultimately, like, really, really, really great movie. You know, it's interesting now having watched Dr. Sleep and learning more about kind of 
the original vision, you know, of the book and everything. But yeah, like that, you know, let's we can talk about the ending of The Shining. You know, you get the you get the the maze scene and which is really good. You get a lot of uh, Jack Nicholson limping with an axe it's running ex- through it's the snow. Classic. And then you but get yeah. that creepy ass fucking shot of him the next morning all frozen and dead and looks terrifying. <laughs> like that's yeah. like the scariest thing in the movie to me. Yeah. Yeah, that that was one of those things that like I definitely knew how it ended just because that image of his frozen face is it's like so iconic at this point it's used for a lot of memes and stuff yeah or even like i do love how they showed the picture of him like in the like original photo from like the night early 1900s when they like opened the place and it's like he's always been there right because that's like what the butler the bartender said lloyd said to him kind of like a nod to reincarnation i heard yeah, like exactly. a Kubrick interview kind of thing yeah so, you, so you've read you've read the book yeah you, you know all this stuff that's so like i don't know what what are you what are your thoughts on the ending or i guess well so the ending of the movie just feels like it fits with the movie because like it's all such a cold heartless movie that like no good would really win and when they do win it's like but at what cost you know like jack nicholson Went through the shit. He dies and he dies like as a villain. Right. So in the book, it's actually like one of the cool things that we'll talk about with Dr. Sleep is that Dr. Sleep has a totally different ending the novel than the movie. The movie uses the original Shining novels ending to like Mm -hmm. make it kind of fit because at the ending of the Shining novel, basically, um, he's when Jack's possessed by the hotel, he confronts Danny in the hotel and is like about to kill him. And he says, uh, Danny says that like something about what his dad had done or like whatever to, I think he had already like set the boiler on because he knew he was like going to be fully possessed or some shit. He knew it was taking over. So he turned the boiler on and then they say that shit. So he runs down to the thing while he's possessed. And then he, Jack Torrance holds the fucking ghost back from fully possessing him to make him like turn it off. So he like dies a hero. And then the whole fucking hotel explodes. Mm-hmm. So, like, for the, the novel, Dr. Sleep, when they said that they're adapting it, it's like, well, there's no fucking hotel in the novel. Like, that's a whole thing. So, like, the movie, it just ends where it's like, oh, it's boarded up, right? And they're just, it's abandoned. So, it's crazy that it all still made made sense. But I, I also love the fact that Doc Halloran doesn't die. He's the one that helps. Like, he literally, there's, like, a whole plot of his whole storyline of getting back there. And it's, like, this whole fucking journey. And my boy is doing some shit. Like, he's, like, fucking on, like, I'm pretty sure he's, like, cross-country country skiing at one point. He t- he rides up on a fucking, like, uh, like a jet ski or something. Like, something crazy. Or one of those <laughs> snowmobiles or some shit. Yeah. And he fucking, and then he gets, like, attacked by the, like, uh, the, like, hedge creatures that are, like, attacking wow. him. And so you think he's almost dead. But then he comes in and then, like, he takes them away to safety. Like, they ride off on his little thing, so... Yeah. This is in the Shining book. Mm-hmm. That's all from oh. the book. Yeah. And also, uh, Jack doesn't use an axe in the book, which I thought was interesting. He uses like a giant croquet mallet. So it's like, it looks, it sounds ridiculous, but it is like, when you look at it, it's like big and like fucking hefty, like a sledgehammer, but it's not that heavy. But like, it would take a lot longer to kill someone with that than an axe. I could see why they, uh, why they would change that out. Could imagine it kind of looks Looney Tune-ish. Yeah, running around with a big mallet. Check it out on the miniseries. You can probably look up the images. They have it with the with the <laughs> fucking mallet and everything. I mean, it, that's the thing. It's just like The Shining's probably like the movie, the novel, perfect example of like 
how a movie can be like like some things that work in a book just don't work in a visual medium like movies, you know, mm-hmm. a fucking mallet. Like if he if you replace that axe with a mallet, like I don't think the Shining movie is that iconic. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I think Kubrick is the reason that made it iconic. But also like, you know, I mean, it didn't hurt Stephen King's career either. So yeah. <laughs> but I get it. I think that that the crazy part about it is that leading into Dr. Sleep, it's like the fact that Mike Flanagan got Stephen King to agree to this after He's been so famously against The Shining for him to agree to like an adaptation that is an adaptation or like a, a sequel to the movie and the book. I mean, like, how do you do that? <laughs> yeah. But that's yeah, why it's Mike Flanagan. Mike Flanagan. Tall order. Well, yeah. Let's just get into Dr. Sleep. Man takes a drink. The drink takes a drink. And then the drink takes a man. And it's so, Dad. Medicine. Medicine is what it is. Bonafide cure-all. The mind is a blackboard. And this is the eraser. All right, let's get to part two. The Shining, or sorry, not The Shining. We just talked about The Shining. Dr. Sleep. Yep. (laughs) Exactly. So I wanted to ask you this because you're again, you're the resident expert for all all things Stephen King. So he Stephen King wrote The Shining in 1977 and then he wrote Dr. Sleep in 2013. Mm -hmm. I don't really know anything about the books, but has he done this before? Like, has he done a sequel to one of his books 30 years later? Yeah, this is like, I feel like a really long gap between books. He's done things like, obviously, The Dark Tower is like the only, that's like the only serial series he has. There's seven books, or eight technically. Um, But there is like, I think outside of this one, there's there's only a couple that he's ever done a sequel to. Hmm. Um, And like, sometimes he'll do like for Salem's Lot, the story about vampires that infiltrate a small town. There's like, random short stories that are in like other collections that are like prequels or sequels or things like that. Um, But I would say that like, this is like the longest gap between it. The only other one I can think of is this one called the talisman from like the early eighties. So probably around the same time as the shining. And I want to say in like 2015 or something, he did a sequel. So about the same time. Um, But that's the only other one I think, I mean, outside of like kind of, he's done like a trilogy of detective novels, but I think those are like more like where he goes into it and just like, he busts those out in a few years. These are more like, he said he always, he would always be asked at like book signings and shit about what happened to the kid from the shining. And he would always joke that, um, he grew up and married the girl from firestarter, which (laughs) I don't know if you've ever seen the movie from the eighties or read the book, but it in the movie, I think it was Drew Barrymore in the original, and she she has like telekinesis or pyrokinesis powers, so she can like create fire with her mind and shit. Oh, so it's like very similar to like The Shine kind of, but she's like crazy powerful because her parents her parents both had The Shine, but they were like given a drug by the government, and that's why they had The Shine. So it's it kind of deals with The Shining, and there's this whole fucking secret government agency that's like harnessing people who have it and shit. It's kind of like the true not like there's evil fucking people after it. Oh, 
So it's crazy. Did they, ever, <laughs> did they ever do a crossover with Firestarter and Carrie? No, or like but again, those two fight. <laughs> yeah, right. No, no, because I think, um, well, both the book and the movie, Carrie dies at the end. So, oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's but true. I mean, hey, she could come back. Who knows? But, <laughs> but yeah, this this book was like such a huge like. I think it was so different from The Shining, too, that like, I don't think it was as well received. I think people were excited about it because it's like, holy shit, a sequel to like one of his best novels ever. I mean, the the Shining book is different than the movie, but it's fucking terrifying and incredible. It's such a good read. And like this one, I felt like was just a totally different vibe. And I felt like it, it didn't necessarily fit as well for me with The Shining book. But that's because it's totally exploring different themes. You know, it's all about sobriety and recovery. You're talking about the books, comparing the books. The books books and the movies. I mean, they both are very different. I would say Flanagan did a wonderful job of making it feel like The Shining. Because the book, that was my one part about it that I wasn't super in on, was that it didn't feel as much like The Shining. And Mm -hmm. I didn't really, like, I mean, it was just so long between when you saw Danny last that it was just like, whoa, like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, it was just yeah. kind of a whirlwind. And it's also more of, like, kind of a depressing and slow book. That's what I would mm-hmm. say. But yeah. the movie, I think, is just makes it perfect. Like, that's why it's one of the only Stephen King adaptations, I think, that's better than the book. And you you liked The Shining book better than The Shining movie, right? I like them both, I think, equally, but for different reasons. Like, they're okay. to me, they're two different things. So... I I would say most Stephen King fans feel the same way because like you can't not love Kubrick's film. Like I feel like Mm -hmm. there's if if you hate The Shining, I mean, what a fucking hot take. It's incredible (laughs) filmmaking, no matter what you're, you know, no matter what you think of it. It's fucking incredible craft and it's really well done as a film. But I love the novel because it's so fucking good. It's just totally different. So I don't know which one I like more. I like both, but I don't hate one because the other one's different, you know? I can accept that they're both okay, that they're both great. I just like I just like messing with your nerdism for this topic. Just asking you questions because you just clearly you're just like thinking about all these things. Oh, I these are just this (laughs) this is what Stephen King, I think, is like what got me more into like serial like stories or like little connections. Cause like a lot of his stories will have a little connection or like a character crossover from another thing. It's like he was doing the Marvel fucking comic universe. <laughs> I was about to say Marvel didn't do that for you. <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying he did it before them. I think, you know, mm-hmm. like he was doing this shit. Like the first fucking Dark Tower book came out in the 70s. Like he wrote it like one of the first things out of uh, like during college or out of college. It's crazy. So I know nothing about Stephen King. So Dark Tower is the is Stephen King's Avengers. No, it's not. So it's weird. It's like. Basically, the Dark Tower is like the linchpin of his universe where it's like it explains how there's all these different levels of the tower and all these different like kind of universes. So it is kind of like that with Marvel. But it's not like where the best characters from each story like show up and like become a super team or anything. It's like it's his multiverse. Yeah. So it's like a multiverse and it's like a new group of characters, which is called your quartet, which is referenced in this movie, Dr. Sleep. And even... There's so many fucking Doctor or sorry, Dark Tower references in this movie. It's insane. But the Cotet is like a group who comes together via destiny, like towards one goal. And theirs is to save the universe and keep the tower standing, which is what keeps the universe together. And then there's a man in black and an evil king who are trying to take it down and rule in darkness or some shit. So but it's like weird. It's like got sci-fi horror 
like all these elements. But I would say like random characters show up in it and they like interact with the main group. So that's how it's like connected. But they also go back to the same location. Stephen King even becomes a character in like the sixth book. So <laughs> which is nuts. <laughs> and then somehow uh, Matthew McConaughey and Idris Elba get mixed into it, right? They were great, I will say. <laughs> However, they just the people who made that movie, they just didn't know what the fuck they were doing. They're like, let's take three really great books and make them into one shitty movie. Like they tried to combine it all. It was horrible. But, you know, Mike Flanagan, that's his next King adaptation, which I feel tracks because oh. as we'll talk about, I think this is like. I mean, Gerald's game is great and hard to adapt, but I think Dr. Sleep would maybe be harder to adapt just because the book, The Shining and the movie are just so different. Yeah, for sure. So one thing that surprised me is I definitely thought this movie came out in 2020 because I never heard anyone talk about it. But no, it came out in 2019. So right before COVID, but it still did shit. And it was so annoying because I'm like, I went and saw this and I was like, this movie's fucking incredible. Like it was so goddamn good. But for some reason, it just like, I don't know if it was the way they advertised it. I, I don't know if that's a big thing. I kind of feel like it was. And I'm not sure what happened, but it's it definitely did not do well at the box office. I think there was a spinoff show that he was Flanagan was going to do for HBO call about Halloran that character in like a prequel series because uh, he's so in it and uh then they were like no not anymore after this that's so weird like because it's the, it, the budget for this was 45 million dollars and like that's enough money that I feel like they would throw some marketing at it and yeah it seems like they didn't like I remember seeing this pop up on HBO Max and that was the first time I ever saw it. They like, didn't advertise it very much. That's what I'm saying. Like, I saw a trailer, but it was like nobody knew about it happening. And I feel like also it's kind of like hard to sell. It might have done better if it was just released on like a Netflix or something like straight to streaming just because of the fact that like it's kind of a risk. You're like, I mean, if you don't know Mike Flanagan, you're like a sequel to The Shining. Who the fuck thinks that they could do that? Who? What gives this guy the fucking right to think he could make a sequel? You know what I mean? It's kind of like yeah. a people judge it before they even want to see it. Well, and this is just a personal opinion for the book and the movie. I think Dr. Sleep is a terrible title. It doesn't have to do with The Shining at all. Or sorry, it doesn't have to. Yeah, The Shining. I mean, technically, that's like his nickname, but it's like still I, Dr. Sleep. It, it should have been something close to The Shining. Yeah. Like, I feel like Dr. Sleep, like if, just seeing a movie if, and I had no clue that it was a Shining sequel. I was yeah. like, the hell is this? <laughs> like, I mean, that's why they have to like fucking play the Shining music at the very beginning of the movie <laughs> so that you're like, oh, OK, this is about the Shining. I gotcha. But it's like, I mean, I think that's just the it's a tall order for it to overcome. And it's mm -hmm. kind of tough. And also, yeah, I mean, Steve, they could have changed the name, but it's like it fits so well with the story. But yeah. it really does not have anything to do with the shine. It should be yeah. Dr. Shine, honestly. I mean, <laughs> come on. <laughs> but yeah, let's talk about Mike Flanagan, because he he knocked this out of the park. And you mentioned, you know, talking about the shining that like this was a tall order for any director is a tall order of an, of a, an adaptation borderline impossible. I would and, say impossible. Yeah. Most people would probably say, fuck, no, I'm not doing that. To help, help me understand, like, 
how the challenges that, okay. that that come with this movie because we talked about previously about Stephen King didn't necessarily like Kubrick's, he hated Kubrick's yeah. film I would say and then he had to be nicer about it once he wanted to buy the rights back but he's gone back to saying no he does not care for the movie which is crazy but I mean it makes sense in his mind but I would say just the fact that it it's an impossible task it feels like because the movie and the book are so different and that the and even like like I'm that's about the shining, but even for Dr. Sleep, it's like a lot of Dr. Sleep is like a lot of that stuff comes from the shining novel, and like they establish a lot more about the shine and all these other things that I think come up a lot more in Dr. Sleep. So Flanagan really had to like walk this fine line again, and like he basically had to make people that hated the book and loved the movie or hated the movie and loved the book happy which is like how do you fucking do that it sounds impossible and even like the creator himself Stephen King was like fuck no and so Mm -hmm. I think Mike Flanagan had to convince him obviously and he said you know like obviously like we love the Shining novel but I would he's like you know the Shining movie is such iconic imagery that like we couldn't do it to like the miniseries like nobody probably would remember that you know Mm -hmm. it's like as much as you might not love that movie it's like iconic and that's what yeah. everybody recognizes. So we have to do it. And King agreed. I think once he read the script, because what Mike Flanagan did so well is that he like weaved in parts of the shining book into the movie. I think that's really what made it a huge success was that like he brought things over that maybe Stephen King had felt were missing and brought them into this one and like made it all fit somehow. It still blows my mind. I don't know how he fucking did it. It's crazy. Yeah, let's just let's just start there. <clears throat> it was it was unbelievable how Flanagan nodded and like reshot stuff from the original movie. I loved so much that he didn't use the original footage and try and like digitally enhance it. He's just mm-hmm. like, nope, we're gonna just recast for these specific scenes that we're going to flash back to, and we're just going to recreate them. Yeah, it was great. It was perfect. Like Danny big wheeling through the, through the hotel. Like he just, that looks like in the first one, like Kubrick. I know the fact, like the uh, attention to detail in this movie is fucking incredible. I mean, like literally everything about it is just like, it's it's perfection. I mean, obviously, I'm sure if you like studied it closely, you'd be like, well, that's slightly different. But it's like literally everything was just taken so specifically. Like they literally got the blueprints from the original sets from the Kubrick estate. Like they bought the rights to them or whatever, borrowed them. I don't know how it works. <laughs> and they used those to recreate everything. And they only did digital for like those shots where they're driving to the Overlook. It was like during the day and the in the shining and they just turned it to day to night and put the snow in. So, and then I think they recreated the blood elevator scene as well, which Mm -hmm. I was like, wow, it looked identical, but they had to recreate that because of like Rose, the hat and like how her height was like taller. They needed it at a slightly different angle than Kubrick had done it. But I would say like, it's, it's just fucking amazing. You can tell they love it. Technology has probably advanced a little bit where it didn't take, a week to set up that shot (laughs) exactly yeah and then it's like we got one fucking thing guys okay let's do it (laughs) but yeah like it was it was crazy when when the movie started and you see danny big wheeling through the hotel i thought that was the original footage i know and then i saw the kid and i'm like wait that's 
that's not him. Yeah. And I'm like, oh my God, that, that's, that's, that is, that's impressive. Like, I love a good like casting and stuff like that. And then also like, like I, I think we were talking or maybe we haven't talked about this already, but I also love that like the, the actors get that fun challenge of like mm-hmm. having to study another performance and try and like emulate it so that it'll feel the same it doesn't have necessarily have to look exactly the same, but I think it all comes down to how they portray it in their own way. And like, I know that like the act, like um, Henry Thomas, you know, he was the fucking kid from ET, which is insane. But now he's in everything <laughs> Mike Flanagan does. And he got to play Jack Torrance, like how fun. And also I would probably be really stressed, but like he said, he studied that movie and just watched it over and over and over. And I think like he nailed it. And same with the actress who played Wendy. I was like, wow. And that's like, I, how do you fucking impersonate Shelley Duvall? Like, that's not easy. She's a very specific person. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, she, she she nailed the scream face. Like, yeah, she's perfect. Everything. And I love that so much more because it d- doesn't take you out of the movie like a CGI fucking fake face. Like like CGI yeah. Luke in this like fucking Mandalorian or whatever they show him. It's like fucking stop i don't like this it why aren't more people doing it the way that fucking mike flanagan's doing it because i feel like it's cheaper right yeah why the fuck would i digitally recreate something when this will look actually natural yeah i don't know i don't like it (laughs) and it 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 lends to it lends to letting the kubrick movie be its own thing and Mm -hmm. then letting this be its own thing exactly yeah I think honestly, like I, I know King really loves this movie and he said it made him look more fondly on the shining movie, which is crazy. But I'm like, I almost feel like Kubrick would probably like it too. Like it's weird. Like that's why I'm saying it's like the perfect marriage of both the novel and the movie. Again, impossible. This guy, Mike Flanagan can do anything. That's why I'm so happy he's doing dark (laughs) tower. Cause that shit would be impossible if they weren't him. Well, and and you mentioned uh, Henry Thomas. Mm-hmm. And I totally forgot that he's the kid from ET. Yeah. When, when I saw him as the bartender as Jack, mm-hmm. I was like, "Holy shit, that's the guy from Legends of the Fall who dies." And yep. Brad Pitt goes and scalps a bunch of a bunch of Nazis, you know, because he dies. <laughs> like, yep. That's the guy. <laughs> like he's rocking that long hair. Dude, he looked so much like Jack. And I think it was great. Like the way that they shot it from the side angle. I think that really nailed it for me. Cause I felt like when it was like straight on, it wasn't as close. But like when you're at that side fucking mm-hmm. portrait, I was like, damn, that looks like it could be him. And the way he talked. But I loved also, I think, the fact that they changed it so it's not just straight up a ghost of Jack. It's like Jack as the bartender, Mm -hmm. which is like perfect because then you don't have to necessarily 100% nail it as like Jack Nicholson and be so extra that we're all like, whoa, it's like he can kind of downplay it a little bit. Well, he had that he had that like one shot where his hair got rustled and he like kind of went full Jack. mode. Yeah, I love it. it It was perfect. Yes. And I I think we should mention maybe at this point, because there's additional scenes with like the recreations of The Shining that are in the director's cut that aren't in the regular movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. Just just some. No, no, no. It's okay. It's not a spoiler. Like you see a lot of them. And I would say like the main ones you do, but there are like more flashbacks and stuff. So like if you haven't seen the director's cut, please search it out. It is fucking incredible. It's like three hours, but like it fucking flies by because 
as like slow as the novel is, I feel like this movie like speeds things up and just nails the pace. Mm-hmm. Even yeah. though it's three hours with the director's cut, I will give it a pass. I normally don't like that. It was funny. I watched the I watched the director's cut with bonus with the bonus stuff at the Fuck end. Yeah, and I was like. Okay, so it's three hours with the bonus stuff. So it's probably like two and a half hours. And they're like, you know, like, nope, this is there is not much bonus content. At the end yeah. of this. There's just like some of it. And then there's like, yeah, there's like one bonus content. And then it's like, it's probably like only 25 minutes longer, but like <laughs> yeah. it's pretty long. And I think it's just, I mean, the regular movie is great, but I, I think the director's cut, obviously, is just mm-hmm. perfection. This is a, We were talking about this recently. I think this is a case where, yeah, give Flanagan whatever he wants. Give him the director's cut. Yeah. Give him yeah. the director's cut of the director's cut. I would give him anything. He's a fucking... He's, he's my god now. I'm going to pray to Mike Flanagan <laughs> at night. <laughs> so, one of the things I thought this movie did amazing was... It balanced, I thought, perfectly the the explanation of things like the the Kubrick one doesn't explain anything. It's just just, that one scene with like in the kitchen with Danny and like Halloran. And then after that, nothing, no other fucking not no wrap up, no anything. It's weird, but his they also explain it more in the book and his. His shining power, like the way that they explain it in this movie is so much better because a lot of that comes from the shining book. Like he's way more powerful and like he has way more of an impact on the hotel in -hmm. the books. So I love that they brought it into this movie. Yeah, like I thought from like watching the first shining, I didn't understand from the movie that like the the house was targeting Danny like I thought the house was haunted and Danny had this other thing they're not necessarily correlated it's just a a wrong place wrong time yeah but the way that they explain in this that like the that the the house is like the true not like they want to feed on him and that's why they were drawn to him Mm -hmm. that made a lot more sense to me Totally. The way that he like goes through the hotel and like the lights come back on and it comes back to life because his like power, his shine is what brings it back. I think Kubrick probably just wanted to make, I mean, the movie's called The Fucking Shining. It's not mm-hmm. called The Fucking Shining. It's called The Shining. But like, what the fuck? You're going to have one scene where you do the shine and like he talks with his finger. It's like very like minimal in that movie. It's it should they should have called it something else almost. So I feel like this one really goes into more of that, like what kind of the not the lore, but kind of the lore behind Mm -hmm. the shine and like all this different stuff. I mean, they even talk about like Rose, the hat talks about, um, I think it's the snake bite Andy, the young girl that like kind of becomes her protege, like Abra to Dan, um, but reverse. And she calls her a pusher and that's from Firestarter. So like, um, Andy, um, is the father of Charlie in that one. And he got his power that he got from like, doing the drug that they fucking gave him is he pushes people. So he like gives a $1 bill to a cab driver and convinces him that it's a hundred. Yeah. And like, like so the- it's like, I'll make you think or do what I want. And I'm like, damn, that's like a fucking great power to have. <laughs> well, that was another thing that I love is how they expanded the shine to beyond just like 
there's like different kinds of shine. Like you exactly. had, you had the pusher, you had the looker, then you have whatever Danny is, who's like the the all star, like he was like most that, powerful category. Yeah. He was like the fucking Tom Brady, but now it's like, oh shit, here comes Abra. She might actually mm-hmm. be Tom Brady, and we were all fooled. But also, you know, Dan suppressed his shine for a long time. I mean, in the book, I think they even say that, like, I think in the Doctor Sleep book, they confirm that, like. Because Abra is actually like his real niece in that one they find out mm-hmm. at the end. And like Jack had had an affair with her grandmother. And so seems, like, that seems like the type that Jack. Yeah. Thing with Jack I, well, back when back in the day, like not like when she was old and like in a wheelchair or anything. <laughs> I mean, obviously, he's been dead for a long time at this point, but he had like the power. It's like in the book, I think they make it so that Jack also had the shine and that that's why like both of them have it. So it's kind of like fucking Star Wars, like Jedi shit, where it's like midichlorians passed down or whatever. <laughs> so I'm not like hugely into that. And also they, but they did say that like in the book, it's like, you know, because he was an alcoholic, it also dulled his shine too. Mm-hmm. But you'd yeah. think if he fucking had it, he might've gotten an inkling at the hotel that some bad shit was going to happen. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's one thing that, you know, didn't, I mean, there wasn't any explanation to it, but like I assumed that the that the hotel targeted Jack because he was weak, because he had darkness. Yeah. But like him, him having some kind of shine. It makes sense. It makes sense because they are drawn to Danny, but they consumed Jack. But but they're both. Yeah, they go after both of them and both of them. But I think the true knot is like a great fucking group of villains in the Stephen King history. They are not as like, like they're not going to be as memorable as Pennywise or like Cujo, but it's like the fucking true knot is literally probably the most terrifying out of all of them. I would say. Yeah. And the true knot also, they did a great job of explaining just enough about them to not distract or overcomplicate it. That's why some of my favorite answers in this movie are when they're like, am I dead? It's like, do you care? Yeah. It's like, I love that because it's like, yeah, we don't fucking need to know everything, guys. Fucking calm down. I agree with you. But they also make them seductive at first where you're like, I like these people. I mean, they obviously capture the little girl at the beginning, but you don't know what they're doing with her. And it's also the sweet little girl who played uh, who's in Haunting of Hill House. And I was like, who played young Nell? And I was like, don't Uh, you fucking hurt her. She was also in Megan. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, they were great. And and I loved that, that like there was a whole tribe of them. Mm-hmm. So you had like these different personalities. You had kind of like a power hierarchy. You had yeah, an you elder. Exactly. You, know? you had people who and like just like the different styles and like they all had different abilities. So like I loved that. And like they kind of like they believed that they were the good guys, weirdly enough, which is fucked because they're like killing children. But for the first part of the movie, like until they kill the b- baseball boy. You kind of are like, I get it. I would maybe be with these people. They're fucking cool, right? I mean, who knows what they did to the girl? But yeah, when you see the baseball boy, you're like, okay, no, fuck these bitches. They need to all fucking die terribly. (laughs) That was that was hardcore. Like, you don't see anything, but it's not that often in movies. You get a full blown just like 
child torture annihilation. I know. I mean, the only thing you really see is the blood spraying and like them like stabbing, but you don't see like it go in. And it's just fucking Jacob Tremblay just being the fucking greatest actor in the world at such a young age. Screaming his head off. Oh my God. They said so. Like, I love this story that Mike Flanagan had about because he like first he showed this scene to King like during the screener before like he was finished with the movie. And he said that at that part, Stephen King looked over at him and was like, wow. Like, that was crazy. I can't believe you did that. And he goes, well, you wrote it. <laughs> and he's like, you know, like you fucking wrote the thing. But he's like, well, yeah, but like I didn't go like that part is like a very it's like one less than a page. It's like a very short description yeah. of like what they do. But it's like it's there. But it's like he's like, yeah, but you really went there. And he was like, even like, I think you need to cut it back because it was longer originally. And <laughs> Stephen King was like, you need to cut at least one or two scenes out, like uh, cut it a little bit back. He's like, if my like my wife would get up and leave the theater, you know, and I'm like, yeah. he's like, you need to cut it back because it is fucked up. But when they shot that scene on set, like all the actors who were like playing the true knot and like Mike Flanagan were all like fucking devastated and like felt like shit and like they just were all so horrified and that as soon as they like would call cut Tremblay would like jump up and like be grinning and he'd run out he ran over covered in fake blood high-fived his dad (laughs) and was just fucking getting snacks at the fucking snack table and the rest of the cast was just sitting there like shell-shocked like Rebecca Ferguson said it was like the most fucked up thing she's ever done and she was so like disturbed and that like him doing it like that was just I mean, Mike Flanagan was like, what a little professional, you know, he's just like, he's just, he's just like, do it again. Another yeah, round. <laughs> I know. I'm like, wow. Cause he's, it feels so real. I mean, that's yeah. just great acting. And I'm just, I think that's like the one child death that I'm never like, oh, nice. Cause like, normally I'm like, not that I'm always like, oh, please kill the kids. But a lot of times in horror movies, the kids don't always die. So when they do, I'm always like, nice. They fucking took a risk and, you know, killed the kid, which I appreciate. But this is maybe a bit much. I don't know. <laughs> Plus, that kid was using his shine. Very, very smart. Like- I know. I loved that. <laughs> and he's number 19, which normally in the Stephen King universe, Dark Tower, that's the number of destiny. So poor kid. OK, nerd, hold it back. Let's- I'm sorry. But also <laughs> the 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 kid who played uh danny originally in the shining was in that baseball scene he's like the one who's talking to his friend about number 19 and he's like it's like he can read the pitcher's mind and i was like wow what the fuck that's crazy (laughs) does not look at all the same (laughs) the first thing that popped into my head when you were describing stephen king being like hey i think you need to pull it back it was like when you dare your stupid friend to do something really, really dumb. And then they actually do. You're like, I didn't think you were going to actually do it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, ex- I know. Like, Stephen King's like, I didn't linger on this for like 10 pages in the book, which like he's done before. There's a whole fucking fucked up part of a kid torturing animals in it that I never I just skip over it. I'm like, fucking thank God no one ever was like, let's do that in the movie. That'll be fun. No, you can do it to a kid, clearly, but not to animals. All right, let's. Let's talk about Ewan McGregor. I know. I can't believe I haven't mentioned him. I, I apologize. That <laughs> well, should have been the first been, thing. We've been on Flanagan, so. I'm sorry. I do. I did name him my new god, so that tracks. <laughs> Hallowed be thy name. Yes. Uh, and Flanagan we trust. <laughs> so Ewan McGregor is incredible in this movie. Fucking and incredible. He's, I mean, he's just, he's one of my favorite actors because he can just do anything. Agreed. You, can you guess the movie that he did before this? It's totally different. 
No, I don't remember. Christopher Robin. Oh, the yeah, Winnie I the forgot Pooh about movie, that. Which, God damn it, that movie is beautiful. I definitely <laughs> cried in it. Of course you fucking did. <laughs> it's the best Winnie the Pooh movie I've ever seen. It's so good. How many Winnie the Pooh movies have you seen? A lot? I don't want to talk about it. I don't yeah, want to talk about it. That sounds like your <laughs> secret obsession. Okay. Let's move on. <laughs> the reason on. I haven't seen Blood and Honey yet. Oh, God. But, uh, yeah, Ewan McGregor is incredible in this. Like, he, you know, The Shining was about, was about Stephen King's uh, alcoholism. Dr. Sleep is about his recovery. And Ewan McGregor nails that that journey did you know that he's also a recovering alcoholic i mean at this point i assume most celebrities and actors right. are, are i mean exactly not really surprising at that point because like if everyone's giving you free drugs and alcohol i'd probably be an addict too mm-hmm. um but yeah he also apparently was which is like a reason i think mike flanagan probably was like fuck yeah like this guy but he i mean mike flanagan has talked in multiple interviews and he has this great story about working with ewan mcgregor on set and he said that like it was halloween well he was just saying how serious he was and how seriously he took everything and that like for halloween um like mike flanagan was like oh i'm gonna dress up in a costume but like nobody else did so he's the only one and there's like this set photo of like him and he dressed as like david r pumpkins or whatever from fucking snl that like oh, tom yeah, hanks yeah. would do and he like is standing there giving fucking ewan mcgregor directions like and <laughs> like stuff and he's dressed like that and ewan mcgregor's just looking at him and he's like i swear he's looking at him going this fucking guy's telling me what to do <laughs> and it was like so fucking funny but i'm like yeah like that is like a huge like i mean ewan mcgregor just brings like this everything to a, a role like i feel like i just he's so deeply into each character he plays and this one Mm -hmm. like he goes from like i mean even at the beginning of the movie he's still an alcoholic and i was like i'd never really seen that side of him at like at least like i've never i haven't watched a ton of his movies i always think of him from moulin rouge and i fucking love him in that (laughs) but i think he's also like i mean he's great in the rest of the movie but i was like he really nailed that fucking like being wasted and like mm-hmm. just being a like i did not see, think that he necessarily had that in him i'd never seen him go that far yeah he did some fucked up shit at the beginning so <laughs> yeah well yeah like and he i mean it's a great um writing decision by stephen king to like make that character grow up to be an alcoholic because mm-hmm. it's like can, if you imagine what the the strain it would have for like those powers and like what your being dad did hear things and you know, like what your dad did like just trying to figure out how to cope and to drown things out like mm-hmm. it makes a lot of sense like if you had those abilities that it's not like a superhero thing you know no. it, it would be no. it'd be it'd be miserable that's why i love uh, a lot of like the books that Stephen King does with like psychic powers. I feel like I'm not always all in on those kind of stories. I feel like they've especially now been really done to death, but I always appreciate that his is never like, I'm a superhero. Like now it's like, fuck this sucks. Like they're always like a tragic character. You know what I mean? Yeah. They always go through the shit. I mean, fucking the chicken fire starter, like both of her parents are dead by the end and she's totally alone in the world. It's like, what mm-hmm. the fuck? Like, there's never really a good ending for these people. So I love the fact that it's 
And also that he still is maybe he's an alcoholic and he's doling it, but he still remembers everything. I mm-hmm. think that's one thing. I just re- I just watched the new Insidious and like the fourth one. And it's about like the young kid grown up and going to college and the dad. But they both forgot everything. Like they had their memories wiped at the end mm. of two. Fucking never remember that. And so <laughs> they had they spent the first 45 minutes of the movie or like first half of it not remembering anything. So they had to. Oh. And then it basically just was a redo of the first like. I was like, this is annoying. I want to pick up where we left off. And that's why I love that we start back in the past. Then we go to like multiple stages of Dan's journey. So you get to really feel like you're going. I mean, it's eight years or whatever that we Mm -hmm. see like him different. And I feel like they do a really good job of establishing the changes in that long period of time. (laughs) Yeah. And they also explain like how he can't wipe his memory like they do that whole thing of yep. him locking away the the demons or the i love that what the ghosts because they're they've left the house and they're still like haunting him. they're attached to him that fucking lady in the tub gets me every time i hear and again he re mike flanagan recreated that perfectly to, to like exact to the t wouldn't you hate though to be the actress that was like oh yeah he thinks i'll look just like that fucking disgusting old lady from the shining i mean i might be offended just saying but also maybe that's her fucking thing i don't know maybe that's her halloween costume every year and she just nails it but good for her you're right it was but i just i hate that thing with the pulling of the curtain Mm -hmm. mike flanagan just nails how creepy it is he makes it even creepier honestly i think yeah but yeah then then we get to see doc again who doc halloran but like in docs like doc says like you can't you can't you can't lock your memories away. And so it's like, yeah, he just has to live with those and which is part of the drinking and that whole ordeal. Yeah. And I love that. That's what doles the shine. It makes sense that like something that's like man-made or whatever mm-hmm. would like be something that doles it. And mm-hmm. I also love the idea that you could like drink alcohol to dull your powers. Like it just seems like, I mean, it's a great metaphor for like fucking up yourself and like your life, but it's, it's really interesting. I also think it's like, the best part about the book for me is that like the book and the movie, I think that like basically just because it's like the shining is dealing with addiction too, but it's like also dealing with like while you're in the throes of it. So there's a lot of like anger and like isolation and confinement Mm -hmm. and like, you know what I mean? And so I feel like the new one with Dr. Sleep, it's a lot different and that's why it feels so different from the shining because it really is a whole different story, but it's dealing with like, addiction via like sobriety and it's all about like pursuit like they're all going after other people or moving there's a lot of fucking locations Mm -hmm. like the shining just all fucking happens at the hotel basically this one is like they're all over the fucking country there's really long time periods and it's also like escape like the very end of the shining but i would say there's like multiple scenes like that yeah so different but i love that they go together it's almost like i felt like you needed the doctor sleep movie and like book to really end the shining story. Cause the ending of the shining is great, but it's like, yeah, what the fuck happened to that kid? He probably didn't live a great life. Yeah. And they even explore like what happened with the mom and yes, you know, spoiler alert. (laughs) We learned that he can wipe memories and he, he wiped his mom's memory of what happened because she couldn't, she couldn't live with it. (laughs) I know that was really, and the death flies too. That's like, Something also from the Stephen King universe, because that's like in the Green Mile, like John Coffey, when he like in like inhales or whatever, kisses the sickness out of people, whatever he like and inhales. And then he like lets out all these like black 
like fly looking things. It's gross. So I'm like, that represents sickness, apparently. I'm going to think about that every time I get sick. I'm like, I'm probably surrounded by all those fucking flies. If I see a fly <laughs> while I'm sick. Fucking lose it. Done. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, and the 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 whole doctor sleep scenes. Yes. Uh, really great, a, right? Case scenario that when I'm on my deathbed, I can hear Ewan McGregor's voice like singing. That's I mean, like singing Frank Sinatra. It doesn't get any better than that. That's fucking like, incredible. Irish accent or it doesn't matter what the accent is. Like if it's Ewan McGregor's voice, I'm here. I'm, I'm he's I'm Scottish. <laughs> he's Scottish, but close. But you're right. He does still always sound a little bit like foreign. You could tell, but it's like he's still so good. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think he's just fucking great. He's so good. And like the it's weird because like when you look at him, you wouldn't even think like that doesn't make sense that he would play like the kid from The Shining. Like they don't really look alike. But then I guess if you look up the picture of like the adult, he does kind of look like him. They both at least in the movie, they had like for the first half, they really look similar with like the facial hair and shit. But it would have been a real bad move if they kept the bowl cut. I was going to say, like, they can't make the bowl cut. Like, he's he's definitely learned at least that in his life. He's still fucking doing horrible shit, but he's at least lost the bowl cut. So we can if be happy. If there's anything that Stranger Things has taught us is oh, that the God. bowl cut has to die when you're a child. <laughs> yes. And if any, like, if I swear to God, if Will gets a fucking worse bowl cut in the final season, I'm going to lose it. Like that poor kid. Just fucking let him be happy. God. Um, <laughs> I do think also, like, as much as I love him, I also wanted to mention just like I love Carl Lovely, who like plays Doc Halloran and nails mm-hmm. it. Like he literally, it's just insane how close he is to the original. I, it's so funny it to Scatman Brothers. I know, me too. The first time I was like, holy shit, I'm pretty sure that guy's dead because he was like old back then. But it's like the voice and everything is just he nails it. And like, I know I told you that like he like dies in the movie. Well, we all know he dies in the end of the Shining movie. He lives dies abruptly for no fucking reason. That's my biggest gripe with the movie. Um, And I feel like in the novel, he definitely doesn't die. And then he has that conversation with Danny that's at the beginning of this movie. He has like. Yeah, he has like some of that with him at the end of The Shining. And then like some more, I think they start with that same part in the beginning of Dr. Sleep as well. So it's yeah. straight up from the book, but it it's perfect. Like just that little conversation, I feel like really just shed so much light on everything. Mm-hmm. Like it kind of explains everything. But Mike Flanagan's wonderful at writing monologues and things that explain things, but in the best way. I see people make fun of his monologues and I'm like, Go fucking do something worthwhile with your life, okay? You wish you could do a monologue like that. Yeah, of of all like the Mike Flanagan stuff that I've watched, there's not any parts where I'm just like, well, this is drawn out or like this is exposition heavy. I'm like, I want no, this more. Is, this is this is great dialogue. <laughs> Thank you. The dialogue is always really great. I think I mentioned this when we talked about The Shining that like. Um, he's very. He also is a recovering addict, or maybe I didn't mention that, but. He is a recovering addict as well. And I do feel like those are the stories like this and Midnight Mass are the two things that I feel like really represent that. And like, I think it's his best work on movie and television so far, I think. I mean, obviously, I'm sure that he'll like do better than that because he's only just getting started. But Mm -hmm. I would say the fact that he's like also so personal to it, like Ewan McGregor, I think that really lends to like how authentic this movie feels. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? and how like perfect it still fits because 
if anything, like the theme of the Shining movie is alcoholism. So for this to be about recovery, I think just makes sense. Yeah. At least there's that similarity with the original book. So they had that to go off. And I'm really glad that that's like a huge part of everything. Yeah. And also like Ewan McGregor's addiction and and everything. And also like, you know, talking with um, with Doc at the beginning, like him suppressing his shine and then actively like suppressing it with with alcohol. Like that explains why the true not never found him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, when Rose that, that had it says that at the end, like, how did we miss you? Yeah, like they would have like, fucking found him because like he's he's one of, if not the most powerful shiner, I guess we can call him. <laughs> um, I don't Be- think before, that's what they call them before Abra. But it's like if he was that powerful, it's like, how is this group who is eternal? How have they not gotten onto him? And it's because he's suppressed it his whole life and that's why they actively killed kids because the kids don't know how to control it and Mm -hmm. so he went through this horrible thing and he's like i don't ever want to experience this again and so it all makes sense (laughs) yeah and i also i really love the fact that like for for king to do this it's like he was an alcoholic when he wrote the shining and then he was recovered by the time he did doctor sleep and i think that's why it is a really great sequel even though it's very different and sometimes that people can't get over that, but it's like, it's so great for like a personal reason for him. Like, I just feel like it's, it's one of those things where if the, the actor, the creator, anybody behind the project is like familiar with that or has that personal connection, it just really fucking shows. Plus yeah. they obviously love the novel and the movie equally. So, I mean, mm. it's just, I think you kind of have to, but can we talk about Rose the hat too? I was about to say, let's talk about Rose or Abra. <laughs> Can we talk? I mean, we'll talk about Abra for sure because she's yeah. just a great. I normally don't love kid actors, and I think she's great. <laughs> um, but Rose the Hat, fucking Rebecca Ferguson. This was the first thing I saw her in before like Dune, and I hadn't seen Life yet. And like, this was the first exposure I had to her. Mm-hmm. And like the first half of the movie, I was like, I would marry this woman. I love everything she- about her, her style, everything. She was great, and like, she was a great villain. <clears throat> She was very like compelling as someone who like could lure people in with her charisma and her coolness. Like she's mm-hmm. super fucking cool. She's the coolest fucking bitch. I was like, <laughs> she is the queen bitch of everything. Like, I love that. That's her. That's I was like the first half of the movie. I'm like, I would be lucky if I could be like her. And then now I'm like, after the kid killing, I'm like, well, maybe if we cut that part out. But then, you know, that kind of is the whole thing. So <laughs> it's like we all we all know those people who like who like uh try to be hep- try to be like hippie like Coachella hippie and then we know the real ones and Rose is the realest, the realest. of the real ones. <laughs> I think like Rebecca Ferguson said that like all of the little things that she wears like the adornments and her hair and the jewelry and like in her hat are all things that like she's taken from her children victims over the years mm. and like there's like a bicycle chain in her hair and that she also has like a nail file in like in her hat and she said that that's for like sticking under the kids' fingernails, and I was like, "What the fuck, bitch?" Okay, maybe you did like shooting that scene. I don't know if that was your idea. That's some fucked up shit. Although it it's good, it's good, it's good. It makes it for a very convincing because you really believe it in that scene. Like as fucked up as they're watching that, like those actors did a good job of not being horrified and being like sexually turned on, which was gross. And like really disturbing, even though it's just like literally they're pushing steam out of his mouth and they're all inhaling it like it was gross, right? Yeah, I mean, 
the steam part was really interesting because mm-hmm. that was that kind of goes back to the explaining things. Like I felt like you you plug this into like a Marvel movie or something. Yeah. There's there's a ten minute scene explaining the nutritional value of the of the steam. <laughs> exactly. The more like that's the thing is that like I feel like the less that we know about these things, the better. And like, like King it. doesn't They're... really explain in it fully, but you're like, okay, yeah. I mean, I'm already on board with the fact that they have the shine. Of course. Yeah, sure. They push out steam when they die. The shine turns to steam. I could buy that. Yeah. That like, fits. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm already you, in for... for trusting me to get it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think that's also something to be valued because, you know, obviously people don't do it. But, but yeah, I think Rose the Hat is like the best villain just because you don't it's like you almost don't expect her to be as fucked up as she is. And then when she mm-hmm. is, you're like, fuck this bitch. But you still kind of like her. I don't know why. And the thing that I loved about her and I think I loved about her and also Abra is Rose has such a, a presence to her. Like I was I just when I as soon as I met her, I'm like, she's the big bad. She's the looming threat. Yep. And when Abra catches her in the trap and then we see Rose we see like cat and mouse like we see Rose become the hunted yep and like the the terror on her face I've loved it I'm like I was not expecting this now like this is super interesting because we yeah. now have a better idea of how strong Abra is but then we also get to see the big bad not be so bad (laughs) exactly and like oh shit so maybe they do have a chance because you're like yeah danny obviously is powerful but like this average chick could do like fun mad i mean i love that her name is like abracadabra basically um i think that's pretty adorable and the fact that she can do all these magic tricks but it's like the fact that like she could she's proving her powers like over and over how intense they are and i'm i do love that because like i feel like she's she surprises rose the hat and i really love the way she plays it because it's like the way that she reacts, you can tell that she fucking never gets surprised. Like, mm-hmm. this is huge to her. Like, even the scene when she just, like, pops up in the grocery store and she, like, tries to get control and then just gets blasted out of there. I was like, damn. Like, like she's always one step ahead that, like, towards the end, you're still, like, I mean, but then Rose the Hat, like, fucking fills up on all the steam that they have left. So then you're like, okay, now it's going to be, like, a real final yeah. boss battle. Like, she's well, powered up since our last two matches. <laughs> well, and we see Rose become a victim of addiction where she's like, I have to I have to get her. And then she meets Ewan McGregor and she's like, I have to get him. And doesn't and even that, realize. That's what leads to her downfall. I mean, right. He's like, I love that. I do love the fact that like, so it's weird. I think the critics did not love the fact that they went back to the shining. We'll talk about it towards the ending, but I'm like, that's some of the best stuff, especially like with Rose, the hat and with Danny. I just feel like mm-hmm. that dynamic is really great. Cause they're so they're apart the whole movie. I also really love the Billy character, his buddy. I think that was a great guy. And I was like one of the saddest character deaths I think I've ever had in a movie like oh. of recent years. I was so fucking bummed when Andy, the snake bite, which like, or snake bite Andy. I liked her. But then I was like, when she said kill yourself, I was like, oh, fuck you, bitch. Yeah. Not Billy. <laughs> I was like, fucking Dan, do something. Can't you say don't kill yourself? I mean, shit. Yeah. <laughs> right. I don't know. It's like pretty weird. So I don't know. I, I don't know where I'm going with this. <laughs> I'm just going to end mean, it there. I mean, I I loved all of the all of the the true not like I thought they all had very distinct 
characters and personalities and like traits and like that whole scene where they just slaughter them. Like you, so you really, crazy. you feel each death. It's not like just fodder. It's not I just know. cannon fodder. It's when like, they oh, die, it's actually that disturbing. Guy yeah. That guy died. That guy, that guy died. Like, you know, yeah. when they're die. Yeah. Which one died? One of them, the guy who's like bald with sunglasses. He's Mike Flanagan's brother, younger brother. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah, I know. I love it because I was like, I fucking think that guy looks familiar. <laughs> All right, let, let's uh, let's get to to Abra. Yes, Kyle, Abracadabra. Is it Kylie Curran? Kylie Curran. Mm-hmm. She's going to be in the it, fall of the House of Usher too. Her her name is Kylie, but spelled with a G H at the end, and that threw me off. I'm like, is it Kylie or is it? Kylie? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just like Ashley with L E I G H. You know, that's the true. Same kind of thing. Yeah, come on, Chase. This is basic grammar. <laughs> yeah, she uh, she is starting her career off hot. This is right? her first. Uh, I think it's her first movie. Yeah, I can. I will. I did. I don't know if that's a movie or a short or something. But mm. um, this is basically she the was first. great. Like she, I feel like especially like she's not a child actor. She's like a teen actor, but she was great. And I thought she kept up really well with everyone. And I thought especially her relationship with Ewan McGregor was really, really good. Like she was really naive. Yeah. And Ewan was like, you are, you, you have to be super cautious. You have to, you have to be careful. You have to do this, 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 or else you're going to end up like me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Exactly. And I love that. And I feel like it's, their relationship is really, really cool. And I just love the fact that like he gets to be like the Doc Haller into her. It It's basically like, I don't know if you caught it, but uh, when he sees Halloran for the last time as a ghost mm-hmm. and um, he says to him, Ka is a wheel, Doc, which Ka is a wheel is from Dark Tower. They okay, say I did that. not know what that meant. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was like, most people wouldn't. I thought it was like fucking, of course, like, no shit. He's going to do the Dark Tower. He's been dropping these in. There's one in Gerald's game, too. He just throws it in. And people are like, I'm sorry, what was that? But it basically means that destiny is a wheel. And it's it's perfect for the Shining and Dr. Sleep because it, it means that basically fate brings us back to the same place over and over to face our mistakes and defeats until we learn from them. That is like the key thing behind the Dark Tower with this like gunslinger trying to fucking save everything. It's very similar to this where it's like it's less about just one person, but it's like Halloran was there for Danny. Now Danny's there for Abra and one day she will too. Although at this rate, I think doesn't Crow Daddy say the Netflix is killing the shine or whatever? He's like, I don't know if it's their cell phones (laughs) or the Netflix. And I'm like, I love that. That sounds like a Stephen King one because I feel like when he talks about things like technology, it never makes sense. Like he once mentioned in a recent book, someone giving like, he's like, I left you 20 bucks on the counter for Netflix. I'm like, that's not how it works for like the movies he watched. I'm like, what? that's like from like when we had to mail it, right? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like Jesus. Yeah. Like he was essentially like tying the shine to kind of like attention span and then also like he was saying medication is is suppressing it Mm -hmm. it's kind of like just all all these these substances they just suppress and just like alcohol yeah Yeah. and it's like those things becoming more relevant i really i think that that's like literally just just perfect like the whole cause cause a wheel thing just makes sense with the whole story i don't know if it's actually in the book but it, it really wraps up the whole fucking 
both books, I think, nicely. Maybe, Plus, I just maybe, say it all the time. People are like, what the fuck did you just say? <laughs> maybe this was uh, maybe this was Mike Flanagan just calling a shot, knowing that uh, Netflix was going to end their relationship with him. <laughs> He's like, fuck it. He's like, I already know this is coming. So fuck you guys. <laughs> this is this was through uh, for, through Warner Brothers, though. I know, but remember, oh, yeah. he did all of the Netflix shows, right, and then yeah, yeah. I think it was like okay, last year or something. Yeah, now he's leaving, going he's to going Amazon. somewhere else. Oh, he's Amazon. going to Amazon. That's right. But he also is developing Dark Tower for, through his own production company, which he also produces everything he does. And so that way, like studios can't go, no, we're not going to do it, and we're not going to let anyone do it, or we're going to shop it off to someone else. He can just keep the rights. So if someone says no, he can go anywhere else to do it. But Amazon has like the first look or something like they gotcha. get to get it first, okay. which is fucking cool. So nice. anyways, back on track. Abra, <laughs> everybody, should we talk about the ending? Let Yeah, let's do it. Um, you know, we should wrap this up. We're almost as long <laughs> as this fucking three hour movie. I'm sorry, but this movie deserves it. Honestly, I would talk for five hours and I'm going to send this to Mike Flanagan because I'm going to tell him you are my now. I'm going to pray to you every day and I'm going to send you everything. <laughs> All my thoughts on a daily basis, starting with this long ass episode. Well, I mean, you kind the conversation of this movie kind of has to be this long because it's tied so much to The Shining. Mm-hmm. and especially the ending because the ending of Dr. Sleep is, is essentially the original ending of the shining, right? Yes. The novel ends with Jack, like redeeming himself at the end and holding the ghost back from like destroying. He's already turned the boiler on and got the whole thing ready. And so the place is going to explode and he holds them back so his family can get out and like, Mm -hmm. so that they don't stop him. And he blows up basically the whole hotel. So like, yeah, when they're like, oh, we're doing a sequel to The Shining, but it's like for Dr. Sleep, it's like, but the book, there's no hotel in the book. But they do go back there. They go back to the Overlook. It's like the the grounds where the yeah, hotel Yeah, so I mean, was. it's pretty similar, but it is a bit different. Like Billy lives in the book. So I was ex- like expecting him to like die or sorry, not to die. And then he died and I was like, what the fucking fuck? That was really rough, you know? Well, and, and Flanagan ran this by Stephen King, and Stephen King loved the idea. And I think it's because he finally got to see his proper ending to The Shining on screen, because everything that they do, like even the conversation that Dan has with uh, with um, Abra at the very end when he like is possessed, and she's like, you don't know who you're standing in and stuff. That's what Dan says to Jack in the novel. Mm -hmm. And then, like, they race off to go stop the boiler while they get out. It's, like, literally just so cool. I mean, they even put in the stuff from the book that's, like, him saying, uh, like, you're gonna take your medicine. That's what Jack says to it, like, whenever he gets really angry or, like, fucking punishes someone. Mm -hmm. And so I love that that's, like, a big theme. And, like, they try to use that through Dan again with Abra. It's just great great stuff and i think that's the proper way to end it because the ending is kind of similar but also like jack's ghost comes back in the book i think and it's like do we need this do we need a force ghost of jack nicholson i don't think so (laughs) i think mike flanagan did the right thing by having him be there through like the way that he did as like the bartender and Mm. not having i but that's why you get that great monologue from ewan mcgregor too but so i think he just made it his own and weirdly the critics didn't like the fact that they're like oh i love the movie until it gets back to the overlook and i was That's like so weird right how like what did you think when it went back there i was i was 
very interested. Like I, I, I didn't really know what to think in my mind. It made a lot of sense because like a lot of like legacy sequels, they, they go back to the original the movie original. kind of thing. So I was kind of like, all right, we'll see how this goes. But I was, I was in the moment that he walks into the hotel and just like, you see the hotel, like waking up to him. I was like, Oh, this is super cool. And then like you, then it just becomes a full blown, like Kubrick, like imitation. Like it's literally like, like, yeah. Honoring everything. And like, he walks down the hall to the gold room, exactly like in the, the shining. And then the shots are all the same. Then it turns and you like, we talked about in the shining. I loved all the long shots of the hallways because you really felt how big this hotel was. So like for them to redo that, I thought was really cool. And then the same shot of the bar and then he walks to the bar and he has like almost the same interaction from the shining, but with a different outcome because he is recovered, you know? Yeah. But they still are trying to get him. And it's like, you see how they're doing it the same way with Jack. And it's great because even I think when he does that little speech at AA, after he gets his eight-year chip and he does that speech about his dad. I love that. Because mm-hmm. yeah. you also, that's from the novel that his dad did go get a chip at AA and like had been on the recovery. But the hotel like starts going after him and for like basically possessing him and making him drink. So yeah. I love that that like became a big thing that like he was already like, you know, this is for my dad. But now it's like I still am stronger than my dad, even when faced with this ultimate temptation. Because he's like you do have no idea how much this drink will cost this. It costs a lot. And he's like, it's on the house there, yeah. <laughs> which I love yeah, like, this. I love this policy. If I, <laughs> if I go there, like just drinks on the house all the time. I love it. Cause didn't they say they like have no alcohol there? It's like, where the fuck do the ghosts get the alcohol? <laughs> Is yeah. Jack Nicholson drinking like an empty glass, like in Barbie, that's but he, that's, they that's, think that's, it's like a, they're that's pushing what I, him. That's what I'm assuming. <laughs> right. Like it's, weird. it's, it's a, it's a metaphor for like, a, like it's kind of like the whole uh, vampire thing. Like they can't come in. You have to invite them in. Yeah. And it's like him drinking. That is essentially the invitation. Possess me. Take me. exactly. Which um, is like the drink takes the man and that whole thing, which is just perfect. Yeah. But yeah, like, you know, like a lot of those legacy sequels, like they go back and whenever like they revisit the original, it's like, hey, nostalgia. Look at this. But I felt like this like had a lot of it had a point. Like mm-hmm. it was, it was overcoming the, essentially the, the, the challenge that his dad failed at, you know? Exactly. And, and so like when they do the bar scene and then they do the bathroom scene, like it's the same thing, but then he doesn't give in and it's all to lure, uh, Rose there. And then we see, we really see, uh, Danny's power where like, they trap her in his mind and th- and she thinks that they're in Abra's mind. Mm-hmm. Also, we got to see earlier, we saw Danny possess. I Abra. love that scene. I was going to say, I really enjoy that whole scene. Cause like she does a great fucking job of imitating him yeah. when she's like, fuck, I feel hungover." <laughs> like apparently he did those scenes. And then like, she was like able to watch that and like mimic it and try and do it as close to like he did it. And I just like, that's, oh, that's amazing. Great. Yeah, I know. I love that stuff. Also, I don't know if we mentioned it already, but because Crow Daddy, I love the way that he dies with like, of course you wouldn't wear a seatbelt. And but I love that actor. I think he's great. He was oh, in he, like Westworld and shit, right? He's yeah, he's in Westworld. He's in an amazing show called um uh Reservation Dogs. Oh yeah. Yeah, oh, fuck he, yeah. He, he's, he's awesome great. in that. 
He's just a great uh, fucking actor. I love when he's in Bone Tomahawk, apparently, which is that crazy ass movie oh, I told yeah. you about. <laughs> um, but so just but anyways. Then, <laughs> yeah, then we then we recreate the stair scene. Yes, with you and McGregor. So good. And it's like not a baseball bat, it's an axe. And like at least I will say, like, the one thing is like, I mean, obviously Shelly Duvall probably did that 500 times. So, like, poor woman, I would fucking be like, my limbs would just be shaking while I'm holding that bat. It works for the character because she's so fucking scared. But like, I would probably be doing that out of just being exhausted. So, like, it's <laughs> crazy. Like, he has a really good hold on that axe that whole time. Yeah. I'm like, Flanagan probably didn't make him do that a hundred times, but like <laughs> you probably had to do it a lot at least to mimic it perfectly. Like yeah. the way I noticed it a lot too, where it's like the camera will be motionless and then it's like someone moving and it like kind mm -hmm. of adjusts like someone getting up and then you're like floating with them. Yeah. Just fucking great. Another reason why I love Kubrick, but also because it's like Kubrick via Mike Flanagan, which is just like, how do I make Kubrick modern and even better? fucking yeah. Flanagan like his style matches perfectly with it and it kind of warms it up like I feel like The Shining is a little bit I look back at it differently now mm -hmm. do you yeah like I, I feel like yeah like Dr. Sleep like fills in gaps mm -hmm. from from The Shining because The Shining doesn't explain anything and Dr. Sleep explains the perfect amount and so it, it kind of enhances the original without taking away or like kind of retconning things like, exactly they did yeah. they do it perfectly and that stair scene you know we we get the her rose discovering the ghosts and i love you mentioned earlier i love when she uh, when she tastes ewan mcgregor and she's, and she's like, like how did we miss you like her her delivery of that in her face like she's like oh my <sighs> god she's like you taste like so whiskey <laughs> <laughs> it's like yeah like oh fuck it's like you know, normally the alcohol would make him like, like it would taste bad and it'd be old, but she's like, it's so, you're so powerful still. And you taste like whiskey. Like I'm going to fucking drink you up. That part gets me because it's the thing with the fucking putting her finger in his leg wound, which once that mm -hmm. happened, I go, okay, well, if he lives, then I don't know. That's going to be like a, I'm going to, he's going to have to die because you can't get yeah. fucking nicked in the femoral artery and live. Right. Yeah. I'm pretty sure yeah. that's an instant death sentence. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, the only he way he around, lives, but... the only way he lives is because he gets possessed afterwards. Exactly. So it's like perfect. But that's it. And then he dies. So her her death was hardcore. Like it was kind of like that thing in Talk to Me. I felt like yeah. After like I didn't think about that when I first watched Talk to Me, but I was like, oh yeah, like the fingers going under the skin. I mm -hmm. love that because you're like, I honestly, I loved her performance so much, and I loved every scene that she was in. But man, that she got fucked up that was like she had it coming but like damn that was kind of a lot it also reminded me of uh the thing yes that one death the <laughs> where his, like his the hand skin. melts into the guy's mouth oh my god um but yeah that kind of shit gets me yeah but overall i think if you watch the shining now after you've seen dr sleep you learn so much it's like it almost just is a different movie now Mm -hmm. it's weird you can kind of like think about it like there's it doesn't change anything outright but it kind of it just enhances it which i think we've talked about like that's really rare when you get a sequel or a prequel or whatever the fuck a long time later i mean this is like what 40 years that's like crazy or 30 yeah. years i mean i don't know fucking nuts right that it's like cool. it's so fucking good and it does it just the right amount it's not a nostalgia just like cash in the check i mean warner brothers was trying to because of it <laughs> Doing so well, they're like, we're going to create, they literally, everyone just greenlit everything. 
Stephen yeah. King. So, you know. Well, and then, uh, you know, we can give a final shout out to Ewan McGregor. He nailed the uh, imitating Jack running with the I know. length and everything. Like, I love that. Oh, I mean, I just really like this kind of stuff. I want he said he's not really a horror fan, but I'm like, I kind of want him to do some more shit. Like he was really good at like bringing such an emotional level that like works for a Flanagan joint. But also, like, with the horror and, like, that kind of angle, I feel like it just, like, he did some fucked up shit in this movie that I just had never seen him do. And I think he should be a fucking villain and doing more fucked up shit. I think he was in Birds of Prey. I was excited. Oh, he was a him. great villain he was great. in Birds of Prey. And I'm like, he should be a villain more. Like, I love him as Obi-Wan and he's always so perfect. But, like, let's fucking get him to be a fucking baddie again, right? Yeah, he's he's the perfect kind of actor to jump into a horror movie because you know, the director can handle the horror elements of it, but it's like he can carry the emotional weight of a, of a horror so movie to, to elevate extra. it above mm-hmm. just just a jump scare movie. Like he's, exactly. he's so good. I know. And that's what we need. Right. And I think we can also just say I think we can end this by saying in Flanagan, we trust and thank God for Dr. Sleep, because I think I like The Shining more now. Yeah. Yeah. In Flanagan, we trust. Hallowed be thy name. Don't forget to like and subscribe. We're out here.